Uh, we are in the final week of a series called Come and See. These are the first, um, some of the first words that are recorded of Jesus speaking to people that are interested in, in him and people that were, would become his disciples. These are some of the first words that he says, which is really just an invitation to say, come and see what life with me could be like. Come and see what life with me might, might eventually ha- uh, what might eventually happen if you experience life with me. So this is what we have been looking at, kind of what the new identity that Jesus gives to us us and kind of a new sense of fulfillment that he can give to us, and, and we will finish uh, this week in this series. But before we do that, I just want to pray for us and then uh, begin our time. So God, would you even now open our hearts to hear from you? Would you allow us to listen to your voice? Will you speak to us today? Allow me to uh, serve uh, your people and speak your words in the way uh, that it would be most helpful for us this morning. And so, God, would you allow us today to see you and to understand at a deeper level what it means to come and see what life with you is like. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. So many of us, and not many of us, I, let me go back on that. I would say all of us are looking for the good life. What is, what is the good life? And there's a lot of different ways to articulate uh, that phrase, the good life. I mean, just life to the full or just what is, what is life supposed to be about? What is life supposed to be, um, what kind of life is the life that is most enjoyable? And there's different ways that you might think about this. Maybe for you right now, life is really hard. Maybe life is really difficult and, and part of you thinks and, and maybe dreams or envisions, okay, if I get to this place, maybe life will be better. If I can get married or if I can get this uh, amount of money kind of in my bank account or if I can buy a house or if I can get kids or maybe if I can overcome some sort of uh, fears that I have about certain things, if I can get to this place, maybe then life will be good. That's kind of one way it can be articulated is in the difficulty of life, this over here would be the good life. This would be much, much better. Or it might be just maybe life is going well for you and it's just, okay, what, what is life about? What is it that you're working towards? What are you trying to see happen? And maybe it's success that, man, if, I, if I'm able to experience more success in my life, that, that's really what I'm working towards. That's what I want to experience. That's where life will be able to be found. Or maybe it's just not even that specific. It can just be happiness in general. Man, the good life is found when, when I'm happy, when I'm feeling good, when, when life is good. And, and so a lot of choices are made then to pursue happiness and what will bring the most happiness. Or maybe for some of you, uh, it's to make a difference in life. Many people feel that very strongly. What I, what I really want to do in life is to be able to make a difference, to be able to leave a legacy, to be able to kind of see that I've done some good in this world, to leave the world a better place. Maybe that for you is really what the vision of the good life is, or maybe it has to do with relationships, your, your family or um, your kids or your spouse or your friends. You say, man, you know what the good life is? It's not about things. It's not about, it's not about um, you know, uh, success and, and happiness even. You, what it's really about is relationships. That's what the good life is. When, when your relationships are clicking, that really is where the good life is. Or maybe for some of you, it's, it's to have God as the number one priority in your life. You would say, this is what the good life is. Man, there's a lot of things that kind of come and go. And, and you know, I don't, I don't know what, what is certain or what's not. But if God is kind of number one, if he's the, the top priority that I have in my life, that really is the good life. 
Now, with all these things, there can be truth in those things to some degree, but, but none of those ultimately is what Jesus says will bring us the good life. Whether it's family or friends or success or things or making a difference or even having God as our number one priority, none of those things are what Jesus says will bring us the good life. Now, now here's what that means. We're, we're going we're gonna to talk about what it is and, and how we can experience, but here's what that means. And maybe I didn't cover all, all the bases. Maybe your vision of the good life is, is a little bit different than, than any of those things. But what it means is this. There's a lot of areas that we look to. There's a lot of areas that most of us look to as if I can have this, it'll rescue me kind of from the bad life I have now. Or if I have this, this is what I'm working towards to experience the good life. It means a lot of that stuff is not actually what Jesus says the good life is. It's not what he invites us to come and see his definition of what the good life is. And, and maybe you don't believe his definition, and that, that's fine. Maybe, maybe you're not sure that what he says is what it is. That, that's fine. But what Jesus invites us to experience as the good life is different from all those things, which, which could mean this. If for you, you're searching for the good life in any of those things, it could mean that there's more to be found than you have right now. Because maybe life is kind of good right now, or maybe it's really bad right now. I don't know. It can be somewhere in between. But, but what it means is if you haven't experienced the good life the way that Jesus defines it, there could be a lot more than you have right now. So what is, what is the good life? What is it? Let's, let's look at what Jesus says in this, in this passage. John 12 says, now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So there's a, a feast happening, uh, and there's some Greeks, which doesn't necessarily mean they're from Greece. Greeks was just a way to define those that were outside of the Jewish community at this point. So people that were non-Jewish. So these came to Philip. This is one of Jesus' disciples who, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. So they'd kind of heard about Jesus. Jesus is you know, mainly ministering in these Jewish towns to Jewish people. But now there's some Greeks, some people that are non-Jewish, that are kind of coming and saying, Hey, we're, we want it. we've heard about this guy. We're interested in who he is. And Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, when Jesus is talking about that, he uses kind of this phrase throughout the book of John. A lot of times it's talking about, it's time now for me to make my way to the cross. It's time now for me to die. This is what Jesus has been preparing for, what he's been moving towards and working towards. And the fact that thou, now there's kind of some people that are not a part of uh, God's family, that are not the Jewish people, that are interested in him, Jesus is saying, now it's time. Now it's time for me to go to the cross and complete the mission that I came for. And truly, truly, I say to you, this is Jesus talking, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now we start with this question, which is, how do we get the good life? Jesus' invitation to come and see what life with him is about. We're going to see that Jesus' definition of the good life is different. So how do we get the good life? Well, the way that most of us think, the way that most of us operate, today in 2018 in America is it's some version of self 
fulfillment. Some version of the way that I can experience the good life is if I'm able, and this can apply to all sorts of things, and we all have our own definition of what this looks like, so people's, people's lives look very different, but some version of if I can be true to myself, if I can be true to myself and kind of express my inner desires and live out of that, living in fulfillment of who I am. And so there's all sorts of different ways, like I said, that that gets expressed. You can think about it in catchphrases that we have of one I mentioned, be true to yourself or to follow your heart or be who you are or do what makes you happy or do what's best for you or you do you or whatever it might be that we have this idea of here's where the good life will come from. If I can just look inside and see who I want to be and see what I want to do and be true to that, that is where fulfillment will come from. Now, this gets expressed in all sorts of different messages that come at us. I mean, if you go to some of the top-selling books that are out there right now, a lot of the books are going to be referencing, here's what you need to do. And then there's all sorts, of, um, all sorts of genres of literature that will have this same kind of message, where it's, whether it's marriage literature or it's kind of self-help literature, whatever it is, but the message is, be true to you. Our songs uh, sing those same messages. Many of the messages of our songs are something like that. This is, this is uh, related, but I, I remember, um, I think it was uh, two years ago or maybe last year, not, yeah, not this year, but last year, uh, we were at a 4th of July kind of you know, fireworks party thing. And normally when it gets to the climax of the fireworks, right, when, it, when it's the, the grand finale and they're all just exploding all over the place, right, when it gets to that point, some song is playing. Right? Some, if you go to one that has music, and usually the song is going to be something like God Bless America, or it's going to be something um, America the Beautiful, or some sort of classic song that's saying together this is kind of we are, we're, we're finding our fulfillment as a nation, right? That's what we're celebrating. But the celebration that we were at, which wasn't anything you know, unique or different, but the, the final, the climactic song was Katy Perry's You're a Firework. <laughs> now think about that. What does that say, though? The whole song, the climax of the celebration is about me. The climax of the celebration is how amazing, baby, I'm a firework. That's what we're all celebrating here, is me, I am that, that's me. Instead of this kind of collective, we are together as a country. So here's what this is. Look, we've moved from, in some ways, as a culture a long time ago, being about kind of a more of a communal identity to more of a finding our identity or finding fulfillment not in being true to some ideals or being true to some cause or being true to kind of something out there but being true to ourselves and thus the ultimate thing to celebrate on the fourth of July is how I am a firework baby that's what I am so from songs to books to music, to movies. I mean, look, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings um, or, or uh, make you kind of lament your childhood, but, but the theme of every Disney movie is this, right? The theme of not every Disney movie. Toy Story is really cool, but the theme of most Disney movies is there's some sort of kind of tradition that you're trapped in, whether that's under the sea or it's your small town uh, island village or whatever it is, some kind of thing that you are trapped in that you need to break free from so you can 
Fulfill yourself. Pursue your dreams. Follow your heart. Let it go. Have the wind in your hair behind you or whatever it is. And some of you are going to correct me. You're like, that's not what it is, right? But, but something that you have to say, I need to let go of these constraints that are stopping me from being who I am. The only way to experience happiness, the only way to experience the good life is to be able to follow my dreams, follow my heart, be who I am, and let nothing kind of hold me back from that. That is, that is most of our operating system of this is how we will get the good life. So for some of us, it's break free and pursue success. For some of us, it's break free and be able to have a relationship with who I want to have a relationship with. Some of it is break free and pursue this kind of work instead of this kind of work or all sorts of different things. But the underlying foundation, the underlying foundation of where we often believe the good life is found, is if I can be true to who I am, be true to myself, and seek self-fulfillment. There's research done on this. A major research company in the United States is called Barna. It's a research group similar to something like Gallup or um, Pew Research, if you've heard of any of those. But Barna is a major research group that did, has done research in the last couple years measuring, basically, the American view of what they call the new moral code. And I've referenced this in the past, if, um, several months ago. But the new moral code, or they call it the morality of self-fulfillment, which is all of these different things that we believe this is. This is what morality even is. The, 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 look, here's the, here's the greatest sin that anyone can commit in 2018. To try to tell someone not to be true to themselves. That's the greatest sin that you could commit. And, and the only command, really, in 2018 is to tell people, look, you need to do what's best for you, right? You need to do what makes you happy. You need to follow your heart. You need to be true to you. Those are the greatest sins and the greatest commandments. But all of that said, this won't ultimately give us the good life. This won't ultimately give us the vision of, man, I've got it. I'm fulfilled in life. And this is true in two different ways. One is this, it might succeed. You might do this. You might, you might pursue the good life in this way. But it won't ultimately work even if you're successful. And this one's a little tricky, okay? But I, I, I'm saying this from, this from this standpoint. You might pursue it. I'm going to fulfill myself. I'm going to be true to myself. And you might be successful in that. You might actually feel, I'm, I'm doing it. But what Jesus would say is, maybe you feel like life is there, but you're living, and I don't want to you know, necessarily put numbers on it, I don't know, but you're living at a 5 out of 10 thinking you've reached the pinnacle. So even if you actually say, man, I tried to do it and it worked, this is great, Jesus would say, you're still missing something and you don't even know you're missing something. C.S. Lewis talks about this. He says that we're like little kids that are playing in the mud thinking how awesome it is, but it's because we can't fathom or even envision what a holiday, he's British, what a holiday at sea would be like. So that, that's, that's what might happen here. You might pursue living life to the full and think, it worked, I got it. But what Jesus would say is we're actually playing in the mud, not knowing what we're missing. But a second way that this won't actually give us the good life is that many times it does fail us. It fails us. We pursue this. 
We pursue saying, I want the good life, so I will be true to myself. I will follow my heart. I will kind of break free from anything that might constrain me. But it fails us. And maybe you have felt this in your life. Maybe you have tried to live life, the good life that you have envisioned, and yet you still find yourself not there. You're fighting, you're trying, you're, you're reading books, you're watching movies, you're listening to songs. It's, it's, it's all kind of filling your heart and your mind, and yet you say, I still don't have it. What's going on? I feel like I'm doing all the right things. I'm trying in all the right ways, and yet it still isn't there. Or another way it fails is this, and, and I think our best kind of prophets that help us see this in some ways are celebrities, where they get everything that we often want. They get the life that we want, the fame that we want, the riches we want, the success we want. It seems like the friends we want, the notoriety we want, and yet so many, you know this, this isn't anything new, it's just an almost stereotypical trope now, but they have gotten to a place where then they say, I, it's failed me, it's failed me. Doesn't matter often who, who they are, whether they're actors or musicians or authors, but so many have gotten to the top. I love how Jim Carrey said it. Uh, he says something, this is loosely paraphrasing, but he said, I hope everybody gets rich and famous and gets everything they all, always wanted. That way they will know it doesn't fulfill. You see, Jesus says the good life isn't found in this. It's not found in this. Now, this is important for me to kind of deconstruct where we often look and where we often find it because if we start wrong, if we start on the wrong foundation, you end up in the wrong place, right? If you start with the wrong foundation, then it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what kind of pieces you begin to add to it. You will never actually end up in the right place. I talk to my kids about this as they're working on math or their homework and they're trying to think through a math problem. It's like if you start wrong, this is why if you're a math teacher, you always want to make your kids you know, show the work because if you start wrong, if you start in the wrong place, you'll never end up at the right spot. You'll never end up at the right spot if you start in the wrong spot. So how do we get the good life? Here's what Jesus says. It's very different from how we envision it. It's very different from what the messages that we hear and often operate from are. Jesus says that the way to get the good life is to actually die to ourselves, Or, he uses this language, to even hate our life. Look, look at how he says it. We, we read this, but look what he says. Whoever loves his life, and that really describes everything we talked about, right? Whoever loves his life loses it in the end. Whoever tries to fight for self-fulfillment, whoever tries to fight for preserving and keeping their life and letting their life on this world be everything that they want it to be, in the end, loses it. And whoever hates his life, whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. This is one of the most important principles in life with Jesus. He, he says that this is the book of John. He says this in the book of Matthew, in the book of Mark, in the book of Luke. And in those books, especially repeats it even multiple times in multiple teachings. This is one of the most important principles in understanding life with Jesus, because this is where Jesus says the good life is found. 
Jesus says, if you want life, if you want life, here's where it's found. Now listen, you need to, we, we just got to start here. Don't you see how counterintuitive that is? I mean, Jesus is saying it in a, in a counterintuitive way. Whoever loves his life loses it. That doesn't make sense. If you love something, you don't normally lose it. Whoever loves his job loses it. Whoever loves his spouse loses it. Whoever loves his iPhone loses it. Maybe that one makes sense, right? Whoever loves his car keys inevitably loses them, right? And that might make sense. But it, isn't this very counterintuitive? If you love your life, if you pour your energy into your life, if you pour your energy into saying, I want to bring fulfillment to my life, Jesus says, you will lose it. And if you hate your life, if you hate your life, you'll actually keep it. Isn't that counterintuitive? I mean, isn't that very different from how we normally operate? I mean, let me ask it to you this way. Do you ever hear this anywhere else? I mean, do we ever hear that message anywhere else? Is there ever a book you, I mean, think about the last book that you read, if it wasn't the Bible. If you, you're like, I read John this morning. Okay, well, not that. I mean, think about the last book you read or the last song that you listened to or, or, or the last movie. The themes of those things are not this, right? I mean, this is very counterintuitive. I'm not even yet asking you to agree with me. You can say, yeah, it's counterintuitive. It's stupid. Okay, if that's what you think, that's okay. I just, I just want you to see, isn't this very counterintuitive from how we normally think that we shouldn't love our life if we do, we lose it, but rather we should hate our life. It's very different from how we normally think. We hear the opposite of that all the time. All the time we hear the opposite of this. You never walk into a bookstore and go, well, first of all, you never walk into a bookstore, but second of all, you never, <laughs> you never walk into a bookstore and, and uh, say, hey, where's the self-hate genre? I'm really looking for a book on that. There's a self-help genre that fills. Or you go on Amazon and type in self-help, millions. But there's no genre of, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm kind of into this Jesus thing. And Jesus says, if I hate my life, I'll actually keep it. So where, where's the, the self-hate genre? That doesn't exist, right? Now listen to me. Just, I'm not saying hate yourself. And that's not what Jesus says either. But Jesus is making a point here that's very important, that is very counterintuitive. The messages that we hear all the time are the opposite of what Jesus says. Jesus says, instead of seeking to for fulfill yourself or to be true to yourself, he says we must die to ourselves. We must even in some sense comparatively hate ourselves. See, it's a comparison of if you are in it should be like this. Jesus doesn't want you to look at yourself and say, I'm so stupid, I'm an idiot. That's how we think of self-hate. That's not what Jesus is saying at all. But he's saying in comparison to a life that says, I want to get everything I can here. I want to be true to myself. I want to fulfill myself. I want to find myself. Jesus says in comparison to that, it actually should be that you aren't focused on that at all. That you're not focused on yourself at all. Now listen, this sounds hard, doesn't it? And I haven't even spelled out the implications of it yet, but, but isn't it just, doesn't that message sound maybe hard, as in, man, that would be challenging, or maybe just offensive? 
maybe just hearing, like if you didn't know that those words came from Jesus, if you didn't know that that came from Jesus, and I, you just asked me, just we're standing out in the lobby and we're, or we're getting coffee or, or something, right? And you say, hey, I'm really trying to experience a better life. What should I do? And I say, here's what you should do. Man, you should hate yourself and then you'll really keep your life. You would go, this guy's a wacko. You wouldn't tweet that. You wouldn't say, man, I found a really helpful teacher here. He's going to, you wouldn't do that. So this is hard. If, we're, if we don't experience it as hard or offensive, we're probably not really listening. It's hard. It's even offensive. And, and Jesus admits that. Jesus doesn't say, hey, this is super, I mean, he says, whoever loves it, loses it, and whoever hates it. He's using strong language. In other places, Jesus says that we must pick up our cross and die daily in similar kind of message. Jesus understands that this is a difficult teaching. He's not trying to soft pedal it in any way. Because our desire, our heart is to keep our life, to grasp it, to hang on to it, to fight so hard to say, I want to experience myself being fulfilled in this world. It is hard. But here's what it means. Here's what Jesus is saying that we need to experience if we want the good life. It means to let him, to let Jesus define us. To let him take our life and completely define it. Now listen, this is different from to teach us some things. It's different from saying, I'm going to give kind of part of my life to Jesus. I want him to inform maybe my marriage. Or I want him to inform, you know, there's somebody, my, my kids. You know, many people, and, and again, I don't, I'm not trying to, if you're here today because of this, I'm glad you're here. But many people have kids and then they say, man, I want my kids to get a good kind of moral foundation. So they bring them to church. So maybe you even say, okay, I want Jesus to speak into how I do my kids, how I do my marriage. Or maybe there's kind of some difficult uh, relationships that you have and you want Jesus to speak into forgiveness towards them. But this is different from that. This is why I say that the good life version isn't even to say that you want God as your number one priority. Because even that language is to say, okay, God's number one, but I've also got a number two and a number three and a number four. And that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, I don't want to be number one in your life. I want your life. I don't want to be number one. And then sure, you can have number two, three, four, five. I want your life. I want to define your life. I want all of your life. I want you to experience so much that you've given me your life that it's like you hate the previous life. This is what it means. It means to say, my life, Jesus, revolves around you. Like the planets orbit the sun. My life revolves around you. It's not that you're one of a list of priorities, even if the most important priority, it's that my life literally is being completely shaped by you and who you are. And everything I am, I don't even care anymore. It's as if I hate my life because I want to actually revolve around you. I want to actually give you my life. This is what it means. Let me, let me ask you this. 
Have you ever come to Jesus like that? Have you ever said that to him? And I don't mean you thought it or you heard a sermon about it and agreed with it. I'm, I mean this, literally. Have you ever come to Jesus and prayed and said, Jesus, my life, I don't want it anymore. I want my life to revolve around you. Jesus, I want myself to die so that I can actually experience life with you. Have you ever said that to him? Do you regularly say that to him? No conditions. No, you're number one, but to really say it's yours. Now, this is where Jesus says we find life. How do we get the good life? Jesus says it's not by loving your life. It's actually by losing it. It's not by seeking yourself. It's actually by letting me be the center. It's actually not by loving your life, but by hating it in comparison. It is where we find the good life. And that's important. Because Jesus is not just giving you some call to self-sacrifice or self-denial. Catch that. He doesn't just say, die to yourself, the end. He doesn't just say, deny yourself, the end. He says, if you want to find life, die. If you want to keep it, lose it. You see, Jesus is actually after us experiencing the good life. It's not just a call to self-sacrifice or denial. It's to actually keep eternal life, to actually find it the way that it actually is meant to be found. I mean, how do you find life? How do you find joy? How do you find what you were meant to live? Jesus says, it's here. Now, this is true in some other areas, right? We know this. I mean, if you want to experience life with a fit body and being, this is just a hand motion. This wasn't me pointing at myself. But if you, if you, want, to, if you want to experience life like this, you know, if you, want, if you want to experience life with a fit body, You've got to die in some way, right? I mean, if you want to experience, if you want to experience, man, I'm healthy, you've got to die to what you eat in some ways. You've got to die to your time and your, I mean, you know, what is it, Marines or I don't maybe just like meatheads, but they say pain is weakness leaving the body as they're working out, right? And it's this, this idea that I need to die in some way to experience what I really want. I mean, this is a principle that we understand in kind of specific physical ways. That if you want to experience, I mean, many people, especially, you know, it's coming up, January's coming up, many people, whole 30, right? And you do it for the month, cleanse yourself so you can eat a lot of crap later, right? I mean, that's the only reason I've ever dieted is so I eat really good so I can eat really bad. It's I want to die right now so I can experience life with donuts later, Right? That's, that's a principle that we understand, even with money in some ways, right? For those of you that save, or, and many people save for retirement, that's saying, right now, I'm going to experience less than I could so that I can actually experience what I want to. We get this principle in a lot of kind of smaller ways. We get it in a lot of physical ways. But Jesus is saying, this is actually the heart of spiritual reality. This is actually the heart of what it means to experience the good life, not just in your diet or your, phys your physique or your money, but if you want to experience the good life that I came to bring, it's found in experiencing a death to the old life. 
And it's not just to rid ourselves of ourselves. It's not to just push ourselves down. But it's to replace ourself with him. To focus on him as the center of everything. To have him be everything that our life is about. Every, everything that we are living and revolving and building and pursuing becomes about him. Now, that might sound weird. That might sound kind of esoteric, kind of pie-in-the-sky language. But if you just replace that with the messages that we tell ourselves about ourselves, it starts to make a little bit more sense. See, because the way that most of us pursue the good life is self, self-fulfillment. But all you have to do is replace that with God to find out what does this actually mean. So what if instead of a focus on self-esteem, there was a focus on esteeming Jesus and seeing, not even focusing on our worth, but his worth? What if instead of a focus on self-confidence and I can do it, there's a focus on I have a confidence in God and what he can do? What if there was a focus, instead of being true to myself, there's a focus on, I want to actually conform my life to be true to him. I want to be true to him. Instead of, I'm going to follow my heart, I say, I'm going to follow his heart and wherever he leads me. You see, it begins to make more sense. We see that we are so often the center. That's where the good life is. Do whatever makes you happy. What if I said, I'm going to do whatever makes him happy? That's actually what the Bible's teaching is on, you know, what is, our, what is our main command in life? It is to glorify God. One of the old kind of catechisms says the chief end of man, the main purpose of human beings is to glorify God. But see, we would say, no, the chief end is to glorify myself because I'm a firework. What if I said, no, Jesus is a firework? What if I sought to have him, what if I said, look, I don't even need to believe in myself. I need to believe in him. I don't even need to trust myself. I need to trust. That's, this is what it starts to mean. You see, self starts to go away. This is what Jesus says. Don't try to love your life. Don't try to hang on to your life. Don't try to let yourself be everything and center. Instead, release that. Have me be everything. Have me be centered. Come and see what happens. So let me ask you again, does, does this define your life? Which, which version? Do you, and look, no, I can't read your thoughts. And you don't need to tell anybody next to you. But which version more accurately describes you? Is it, I'm seeking to fulfill myself be true to myself, have confidence in myself, believe in myself, or is it, no, it's actually Jesus. In some sense, I even hate my life because of him being my life, that I'm focused on him, revolving around him, directed towards him. Jesus says, I, look, Jesus says, I want the good life for you. Jesus isn't saying, I just want this really difficult, self-denying life, and that's this glorious, kind of honorable thing. He says, I want the good life for you. I want you to have it. But there's two different paths. One path is what we are told, and one path, Jesus says, come and see if I'm right. Come and see what life with me might be. 
Does this define your life? Answer, I mean, answer that question in your mind right now with a yes or a no. Second is, what does it mean to live like this? What does it mean to actually live like this? What if we say, okay, I, I'm going to go where Jesus takes me. I, I want to come and see what life with him is. And, and, and let, let's answer this question um, for, I, I, I want to answer this. I don't, I don't know where you are, okay? So maybe you're not a Christian. We're glad you're here. This church exists because we believe that Jesus wants life for you. And I want you to hear this question as, hey, what would it be if I said, okay, maybe I'll explore that path. But for those of you that are Christians, this is a good way to say either, okay, Jesus, I do want that. So what does it look like? Help me see. Or maybe it's just a good assessment tool to say, you know, I'm not really sure where I'm at. Maybe this can help. What does it mean to live like this? What does it mean? Well, Jesus gives us two things. The first, he says, is that this life looks like serving. It looks like serving. See, because when we begin to release what we are hanging on to, when we begin to release what we are focused on, our hands become free to then serve others. Look what, look what Jesus says. He says, if anyone, whoever loves his life loses it, whoever hates his life in this world keeps it for eternal life, and then he begins to define that. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. He actually says the people that begin to follow him in this way, their identity is as a servant. That they are people, the ones that are hating their life in this world are the ones that are serving him. That it becomes a different kind of identity. Instead of a focus on what can I get, what, will, what, what can I pursue, what kind of success can I have, what kind of uh, people can I have, what, what can I have, it becomes a focus on what can I give. Because if your life to you is no longer center, if it's no longer focused, if it's no longer this is everything to me, then you're free to give. You're free to serve. What does it look like to live like this? It means that we embrace that this is our identity. Have you embraced your identity that you are a servant? Have you embraced your identity as I am somebody that uses my life to give to others. That's hard often, right? Or always. I mean, aren't there many places in your life where that is difficult for you, that if you were to really take that, I mean, I know it is for me, to really take this seriously and say, my identity is as a servant. I'm willing to lose time to serve others. I'm willing to lose money to serve others. I'm willing to lose comfort and what feels safe and secure to serve others. This is one of the things that Jesus says the good life looks like is I'm serving. I'm giving. I'm releasing instead of hanging on to. You know, many people have found this principle to be true even outside of life with Jesus. I mean, many people tap into this. They tap into it in some way of saying, man, I feel really fulfilled when I give back something like that. Whether you think of celebrities or just your 
average person. I mean, companies know this. I mean, they sometimes will have volunteer days with their employees. And I mean, there, there's, there's some um, acknowledgement of this reality that when we serve others, we actually experience some sort of fulfillment and happiness. I mean, many people know this idea to be true. Jesus is pushing it further by saying, this is your identity. You are not just to serve, you are to be a servant. It's not to be a project. It's not supposed to be something, okay, I did my service this year. I did my service this week. I did, but it's actually your identity because you're no longer focused on trying to keep your life and fulfill yourself. You're saying, my life is actually to serve, to give to others. This is the first thing that Jesus says it looks like to experience life with him. The second thing is that it is to follow him, which really just means to listen to him and obey him. Here's what he says. He says, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Jesus says part of what it means to experience the good life is in following him, in obeying him, We want, as I said, to follow our hearts. And I'm not saying you wake up in the morning and say, today I'm going to follow my heart, right? Maybe you you did today, I don't know. But that's probably not a very conscious thought. And yet the idea behind it is how most of our lives are governed. It's to say, what do I want? What do I need? What would bring me happiness? What would bring me fulfillment? What's being true to myself? Jesus says, I don't want you to follow your heart. That's what that means. The call to be with Jesus is not follow your heart, follow your dreams, follow your passions. Jesus says, follow me. Follow me. If anyone, if anyone would, if anyone would experience the good life, If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Now, if we are honest, that's not the way that we really like to live our life. Even if you're a Christian and you want to obey Jesus in some ways, many times the posture that we take is an assessment obedience. Meaning we hear something and say, what part of this do I like? What part of this am I unsure of? And I'll kind of pull together the best stuff and then do this part. But we don't like unmitigated obedience. We don't like unconditional surrender that says, I will follow you. Not, okay, if I agree, I'll do it, or I'll assess the good parts and the bad. We don't like to just say, you're here and I'm here. Right? We, we, don't, we don't like to just submit. That's an ugly, awful word. I mean, most people don't have positive connotations of the word submit or obedience, right? We don't like those words. But Jesus says, if you want to experience the good life, you know where it's found? Follow me. Follow me. Come with me. And follow me where I will take you. Experience what life would be like if it was led by me. 
experience what life would be like if you were mastered by me. Now, let me just say it this way. This is one of the ways that it's helpful for me to think about it for my own self is wherever you are kind of politically, you have an idea probably of, man, if this person was in charge, our country would be better. Or maybe you think about that in your job. If, man, if this person was the boss, our work culture would be a lot better. If this person was in charge, things would be better. Or you might say, man, because they're the boss, things are bad. Because they're in charge, things are bad. We have an idea of if the right person has authority, if the right person is leading us in a direction, life will be better in some ways. Now, what if God, what if the the person that is the most powerful, most loving, most gracious, most wise person was actually the master authority of your life? Would everything go exactly the way you want it to go? No. But would you experience the good life? Jesus says, this is where it's found. Come follow me. Come let me master you. Come let me speak into everything. Now, look, here's what this means. It means your actions, which is where we most go. It means the actual way you live your life. It means the things that you do Monday. It doesn't mean Sunday. I mean, it does, but, but it doesn't just mean this. It means your work. It means your relationships. It means your weekends. It means, God, I want to follow you in how I live. But it means more than just that. It means your heart. It means your emotional life. There, there's people that I know that are very good people. They're living very good lives, but the emotional life whether it's because they won't forgive somebody or it's because they, they don't want to, even in their own hearts, trust who God is. Their emotional life is not following Jesus. They are saying unconsciously, I will give you my actions, but not my heart. You see, it means our actions, our lives. It means our emotions, our hearts, and it means our thoughts. It means the way we think about things. You see, you might, again, even say, I'm going to try to live a good life. I'm going to love my neighbor. I'm going to be kind. That's what Jesus would want. Absolutely. But Jesus wants to govern your thinking, too. For you to follow him in your mind. Even think about what most influences your thinking. What is the blogs, the movies, the music, the literature that you are consuming that you say, what should I think about this area of life? What should I think about this? What should I think about my work? What should I think about happiness? What should I think about marriage? What should I think about guilt? What should I think about shame? What should I think about goals? What should I think about purpose? What should I think about time and fam? What should I think about that? How much of that Are you saying, Jesus, I want to follow you. Take my thoughts. Lead my thoughts. The Bible even says, take every thought captive, which is a way to say all of our thoughts should be given over, surrendered to, in bondage to Jesus. You see, Jesus says, come follow me. 
if you want to experience the good life, what would happen if I was the one actually directing your life? What if you didn't have to be in charge of your life? What if it wasn't all on you to follow your heart and follow your dreams and be true to yourself, and, but you could just say, I'm actually giving myself to him. And wherever he takes me, that's where I will go. What if that was what we said? Can I ask you to do something right now? Can, can, and this, I don't, I don't do this normally, but I just want you to take, I don't know, 20 seconds. Can you even just now pray? If you're a Christian, and if you're not a Christian, you could pray too, but you can just ask, God, is there an area that I'm not following you? Would you just speak that to me right now? Look, I, I could give you, hey, maybe you're not following him here, here, and I could give you like a thousand examples. I could do that. But I, I just want to ask God to maybe, because maybe you already know it. And maybe he just needs to put it there and say, this is what it is. Would you just maybe close your eyes for a second and just ask Jesus, would you show me where in my heart or my mind or my actions, I need to follow you. You see, when we, when we ask this question, we begin to think in a different kind of way. And I don't know, maybe God pointed something out to you. Maybe he showed you something. Maybe not. We know it's God's voice if it's coming from the Bible specifically. If you feel like what God just said is, hey, you need to follow your heart. You should really kill this person. That's not Jesus speaking. We need to always test by what he says, which is why we open his word to hear from him. But when we begin to think this way, we, we ask questions like, Jesus, where are you leading me? And not just the big life choices you have, but where are you leading me? We, we ask questions like this. What does he say about this area? Jesus, what do you say about this? Instead of just, what do I think? What do I want? What does my favorite author think? What do my friends say? We say, Jesus, what do you say? And so we do open the Bible to go, what do you say about this? I want to know your opinion on this stuff. We ask, where are you leading me? We ask, what do you say? We, we ask even this question, which is, how can my life, how can this particular thing, my relationships or my money or my time or my, my whatever it is, we say, how can this revolve around you? Those are the questions that we begin to ask if we say, I really want to follow Jesus. And to follow Jesus is not just to do the things he says, it is that, but ultimately what Jesus says is it's being with him. See, to take your life and say, I will submit it to Jesus, I will let him master me, I want to walk 
wherever he's leading me. You know what that means? You get to be where he is. He even says that. He says, whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, that's where my servant will be. So you actually get to experience life close to him. You might, you might feel distant from God. Do you know that there was a study done recently that said the number one reason that people um, come to church is they want to feel close to God. That's great. But you know what Jesus says? You want to feel close to me? You want to feel close to me? Follow me. You might not feel close to God. You might feel, man, I feel like God's far away and I feel kind of, I don't know, it feels so distant. It might be. Because you're not doing, Jesus says, look, I want you to be close to me too. And here's how you do it. Go where I'm going. Walk with me. You know what happens when we live like this? You know what happens if our community, our church lives like this? Jesus says there's much fruit. Jesus says if we live like this, there's much fruit. If your life dies, it actually gives birth to life for others. Like a seed getting planted, it falls into the earth and it dies and it's buried. But then what happens? You get a freaking ton of zucchini, you know, for those of you that are planting zucchini. It's like the only one of our vegetables that like goes everywhere. It's like, what the heck? Our grass won't grow, our, you know, this won't grow, but zucchini, you know, we're just going to have a lawn of zucchini and that would be amazing. But Jesus says that's what happens. That if a seed gets buried into the earth and dies, it then bears much fruit. What he's talking about is more people then get to experience life with him. When you live your life saying, Jesus, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to follow you wherever you take me. More people get to experience life with him. Life, the good life. And last question is this. How can we live like this? Because it is hard. I'm not trying to say it's anything easy. I know it's a lot easier in some ways to think, what do I want? What's important to me? How can I be successful? How can I be happy? It's hard. And especially if, if you're not a Christian, this might be what actually is challenging for you to think about Jesus. But there's two things that Jesus says that can even help us, that can motivate us, that can give us some sense of power to live like this. The first one is that Jesus says, when we live like this, God honors us. God honors us. He says, if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. That's weird to think about. We don't think about that, right? And we think about us honoring God, which is true. But he actually says, look, if you live like this, if you serve me, if you follow me, you know what will happen? God will honor you. Now think about when we honor someone, like if somebody gets the Medal of Honor or maybe... um, Somebody in your work is employee of the month, or um, I was at Red Robin a few days ago, and it's a birthday. Happy, happy birthday, right? Whatever honoring, where you say, what are you, what are you doing with honor? You're saying, this person has done something or is something valuable. This person is someone that we should look at and say, yes. There's a worth that is conferred, a worth that is given a value that is bestowed. Jesus says, when we do this, when we follow him, when we serve him, the Father honors us. It means he delights in us. 
It means he says, yes, this is what's important. Yes, this is what matters. I want to even say, especially to those of you that might find your life challenging in some ways because you are following Jesus. You might find your life challenging in some ways because you're saying, I'm going to serve with my time. I'm going to serve with my money. There's things I've lost. And I, I say this, you know, frequently there's 20 to 30 people it takes on a Sunday to do stuff here, to do setup, to do teardown. And they're losing something, losing sleep, losing whatever it might be, losing time. And it actually says you're serving. And you know what happens? The Father honors you, even if nobody else sees you. You, you and this is, look, I'm not trying to, you know, single out any one group of people, but I just think all the time of those of you that are stay-at-home moms. And man, you're doing so much to serve that nobody sees, that nobody is going to give you an award for, except for your kids scribbled wrongly, right? And you got to wait several years for that. It's illiterate babies. Um, <laughs> but God sees it and honors it. He says, you're serving me. This is special to me. This is valuable to me. This is worth, look, there's so many things that if you say, I'm going to follow Jesus, I'm going to serve, it's going to be hard. You will lose time. You will lose money. You will lose sleep. You will lose comfort. You might lose relationships. You might lose your best life now and being fulfilled as much as, but the Father will honor you. The Father will say, oh, that is so valuable and precious to me. Second thing that can help us in this is to see that Jesus did this for us. You see, Jesus begins talking about it's his time. Before he calls us into this, Jesus is talking about it's his time. And he says, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. And Jesus is talking about himself and what he's about to do. See, Jesus lost everything for you. Jesus, as a seed, fell into the earth. He came to this earth. God himself came into this earth and was planted and buried and died. Why? To bring us the good life, which, as we've seen, doesn't just mean to make your life happy. It means to give you, look what he says. If it doesn't do that, what happens? It remains alone. What does that mean that Jesus was willing to fall into the earth and die for? What does that mean that Jesus was willing to be buried for and lose it all for? So that he wouldn't remain alone. It means he wanted us in his family. It means he wanted us in his presence. It means he wanted us to know him and enjoy him. Now, here's why that helps us live like this. Because when you hear Jesus say, come follow me, we think, yeah, but I know better. When we hear Jesus say, hey, come give it all to me, come serve, we go, yeah, but I know, but I want, and Jesus says, look, you can trust me. I was willing to lose everything for you because I wanted you to be with me. So we can trust him, know he wants good for us, and give ourselves to him. As we close this series, this is what I want for you. Jesus says, come and see what life with me is like. Come and see what life with me could be. This is what he wants, to come and see and to find life with him. And when we take communion, what we remember 
is exactly what we just talked about, that as a seed, Jesus came into this earth and died. His body was broken. His blood was shed to forgive us of our sins, to take away the guilt that we have and the shame that we have, but not just that, to give us life with him so that he's not alone, but he has a big family of all of us. So when you take communion, come remember, he gave this to me. He wanted me. Father, I thank you for this good news. Thank you that you gave us Jesus to come to this earth, who lost his life so we could find life. Help us to let this shape our life. May we lose our life to find it with you. May we stop trying to hang on to everything and release it to you. I pray, God, help us to follow you, to serve you, to listen to you, and even as we sing now and take communion to remember who you are and what you've done to give us life with you.